1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? The life you know, all the stuff you take for granted, it's not going to last. Imagine a world of permanent darkness where machines control man's destiny. Imagine you were the only one who could stop it. But before you do, something terrible has to happen. Where is he? Are you going to kill me? No. My mission is to protect you. Oh, God. She's coming. TX, can you find a way to destroy her? Unlikely. I'm an obsolete design. TX has corrupted my system. The machines. They're starting to take over. Judgment Day. The end of the world is today, three hours from now. Get away from me. Now! What is your mission? To ensure the survival of John Connor. You are about to fail that mission. You don't have to do this. You don't want to do this. Desire is irrelevant. I am a machine.
Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro and this time out I am with my very good friend, Mr. Scott H. Gardner. Hey Scott, how hey, are I'm you? I'm doing great, how are you? I'm good, I'm glad you were able to come on with me tonight. Uh, <laughs> we, had, we had a mass exodus because uh, when we did Terminator and Terminator 2, it was me, you, Mike Zumo and Dr. Bill. And Mike Zumo and Dr. Bill did not heed the call today. So it is just oh. you and I. <laughs> I guess the movie scared them off. <laughs> well, and that's, that's, before we were recording, we were talking about that, about, you know, the the public opinion of this movie as opposed to the legitimate crit critique of it. I was going to say criticism, which is not the word I want to use. Critique, I think, is a better word. Uh, I think, you know, as we discussed it, I think this movie, which we are covering today, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, from 2003, uh, this movie, I think, gets cr more highly criticized than it deserves. Uh, and as we were talking about beforehand, I think it's a fun ride. I think this is an enjoyable movie. I do have flaws that I can talk about and we will talk about. But overall, I find this to be, an, an, uh, bottom line, I find it to be entertaining. And that's really, to me, the most important thing about watching a movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I was a little bit nervous uh, going into this one only because it, it occurs to me that just about every time I've been on your show, it seems like it's always to defend a movie that I really like that I feel like other people don't. And, you know, I, I don't want to get that reputation like, you know, he likes all that weird crap that everybody else, you know what I mean? And then you get kind of that contrarian uh, stigma attached to you. But I genuinely really dig this movie. It's, it's like you say, it's fun. That At the end of the day, that's what I want movies to be. When I go to the cinema or, you know, I pop in a, a disc or, you know, dial something up on Netflix or whatever, I just want to be entertained. And that's what this movie is. It's it's entertainment. It's fun. And I really, I mean, uh, you know, for this recording, I rewatched it yesterday and you could ask my missus. She was downstairs, you know, working while I'm upstairs watching the movie and I'm laughing my ass off because there's so much of this movie that was just it's a fun ride to me. You know, when they're tearing up the city and just some of the things that happen are so over the top and, and spectacle that uh, I, I was just having a blast watching it. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there munching my popcorn and you know I'm just a little kid. So that's what I want for my movies. So, um you know, as we were saying before we got started, I, I really wish that we could have found, you know, in time for the recording, somebody that, that is a detractor from the movie, only because I know they're out there. I know what the online opinion of the movie is. I know it's very low, but I've never heard, I've honestly never heard the, the salient arguments, like why people don't like it. All I ever hear is the, you know, the shorthand, it sucks, that, that, that's, the, that's the bad one. Okay, but why? And that's what I don't know. So, you know, being ignorant of that position, I'm just going to tell you what I like about it. But I do like it. I well, like gonna, it a whole I'm lot. I'm going to start off by playing devil's advocate, and I'm going to I'm going to hit on the things. I, I think saying th the things I don't like is probably overstating it, but the things I see as weaknesses in the movie. Okay. Uh, and I'll, I'll you know so I'll I'll be the detractor for the time being, with an understanding that I enjoy this movie. Uh, I would say my biggest criticism of it is I feel like it does not tread new ground. Uh, we're kind of getting, uh, you know, another version of, of T2 uh, with, albeit a 
very different conclusion uh, as far as fate and all of that, as far as the message it's sending. But I do feel like we're getting the same thing. Another Terminator is sent down to eliminate John Connor. Uh, Arnold is sent back to defend him, and let's move on from there. I don't feel now, like we're really treading new ground to speak of. So now, now you want to address that argument? Yeah, I was just going to ask you if you know if it's not stepping on your toes, if we could do it as kind of a almost like a point counterpoint because sure. you bring up a great point, and I cannot argue that point. You're absolutely right. It does not really break any new ground beyond the fact that we now get a female Terminator, which in that you know that in in and of itself is not really new ground because the comics did it first. But uh, that's actually one of the things I like about the movie in, in a weird kind of way. Not, not so much that it doesn't really do anything new is that probably the number one reason beyond the fact that I think it's just a hoot to watch. Probably the number one thing I really love about the movie is that I feel it gets the franchise back on track because, and I'm, I'm I swear I'm going to try my best not to turn this into a T2 bash session because I I like T2 in certain aspects, but the biggest problem I have with Terminator 2 is it derailed the franchise from a storytelling perspective because it, you know, it, we we talked about this when we did our T2 retrospective, so I don't want to you know rehash old territory, but in short, time travel works a certain way in the first movie, and then the second movie breaks that, so the third movie to me, tries to set it to rights, tries to put things back on track again. It can't quite fix what T2 did, but it tries to, like, course correct. And and that's, to me, the biggest strength of the movie is that it, it you know, it, it sets things back on a path to where, you know, spoilers, hopefully you've seen the movie if you're listening to this, but Judgment Day actually happens by the end of the film, which I really like that because when we last left these characters at the end of Terminator 2, for all intents and purposes, it really looked like they had avoided everything that put the Terminator story uh, into play in the first place. And I was never really happy or comfortable with that because this whole thing is supposed to be a vicious circle of time. It's a, what do you call it, a predestination paradox. And again, you know, this movie can't totally fix that, but it kind of course corrects for it uh, through the story. And and I think that's really to its to its strength. I think that's the, the film's biggest strength is that it just kind of gets things back to where, you know, kind of where they should be or the, the direction they should be going. And again, that's my personal, you know, that's my personal takeaway. That's my personal opinion. Uh, you know, of the franchise as a whole. Yeah, well, the, you know, Terminator 2 ends with the, you know, the future is what you make of it, it's not predestined, and Terminator 3 ends with it was always going to happen and there was nothing yes. you could do to avoid it. Absolutely. Which is, you know, a totally con contradictory message that they're giving. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and that's the area where it does break new ground. I, I agree with you there. But other than that, I do feel like it is kind of a retelling of the same thing. And it's, you know, and, and I understand where, where somebody who wants something new every time out is going to have a little bit of a problem with that. You know, one of the things they always say about James Cameron is that he actually writes, and from, from a special effects perspective, he writes things that they're not capable of doing and then waits until the, the technology catches up to what he wrote uh, to actually make his movies. Uh, this one doesn't really have that element to it, but 
That said, the other weakness I see to this movie, I'm going to go on to the next point. I am not happy with the casting of Nick Stahl as, as John Connor. I don't think mm-hmm. he embodies the role. I don't think he has any chemistry with Claire Danes, who I do think is a good actress. Uh, I, I I don't feel like you ever really lock into him. Uh, surprisingly, as much of a, a as, as annoying as he could have been, I did feel like we locked into Edward Furlong in the last movie. Uh, and and I think they might have been better off if they if they tried to see if they could get him back to be in this one because enough time had passed he would have been you know significantly older and I think they could have done they could have done the same exact movie with him in the role and I think I think it would have been better off for it taking facts from the internet you know with a big old grain of salt uh I was kind of stunned today when I was doing a little bit of reading up on this to find that apparently they wanted him and they were going to they were going to get him but because he was having some sort of substance abuse issue at the time, they passed on him. And that's why they eventually wound up with, uh, what's the dude's name, Nick Stahl? Yeah. And if, um, if you read I, about him, it said he had to do like five uh, tryouts before they finally accepted him in the role. So clearly they weren't you know, convinced from day one on him. Uh, but I just, I, like I said, I just feel like he's, he lacks some charisma in my mind. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny because <laughs> we're we're doing this in the opposite order of how I arrange my notes. I have basically like everything I like and then everything I dislike, and so we're kind of going in the opposite order. But it's funny. My number one on my what I called it was things I uh, don't like and or are not so crazy about. I wouldn't say I dislike, but I'm not so crazy about John Connor in this, which is unfortunate because he's the, you know, he's the hero. He's the front and center guy. There is no Sarah in this movie. So he has to carry that. And I don't think he's bad. I don't think he does a bad job. But as you said, he's not he's not particularly charismatic. He's just kind of there. And so, yeah, I'll give you that one. Yeah. Big old checkmark on that. He's just not. Uh, you know, the charismatic action hero or, or whatever it was he needed to be. I mean, Sarah, for, you know, for all her flaws in, you know, in the first movie, um, she was still likable. She was still believable. I don't know how believable Nick Stahl is. So, yeah, I, I definitely would give you that one. All right. You know, I, I ran out of my negatives. <laughs> I really don't have a whole lot of negatives myself. And again, they really fall more into the in the realm of, eh, I'm just not so crazy about that, as opposed to, um, I think there's only one real negative I have. Um, let's see here. Uh, John doesn't seem to get, and he even comments on it at one point. I think it's commented on a couple of times, yet he comments and then immediately starts doing the opposite. He doesn't seem to get that this isn't the same Terminator that he dealt with in T2. And that becomes annoying to me because the film seems to forget it sometimes, too. I'm because gonna, when gonna, Arnold gets... I'm going to count up you on that one. Sure, fin- fin- Finish your point and then I'll do it. Well, I think my, I have... my, my, my biggest case in point is when Arnold gets in the truck that he steals from the bar when he first comes back in time, he does the whole... Um, where he starts to hotwire the truck and then he's like oh yeah that's right and he reaches up and he pulls down the visor and the keys fall in his hand which was a scene mm-hmm. from T2 where he learned to do that well this is not the same terminator for all intents and purposes this is a terminator like 
like the one from the first movie, you know, Evil Terminator that that you know, and again, that's one of the things I really like about this movie is that this one avoids that whole trope of him you know, learning and, and learning emotions. And I know now why you cry. I hate that shit in the second movie. And this one doesn't do that. And I like that, but still there are moments where I, I honestly feel like the film just simply, simply seems to forget that this isn't the same Terminator. This is a different one. And John seems to forget it a lot too. So See, but what, what was gonna, your counterpoint? I'm going to grant you that the film seems to forget it. Uh, and I think you brought up a very good point with the keys in, in the uh, visor because that doesn't make sense when you break it down. But John forgetting is totally in point because the story reveals that this Terminator event at one point kills John in the future. Yes. And, and the reason he was sent to kill John is because John has a fondness for this model because of what happened in T2. Yes. So clearly, you know, he, he lets his guard down around this model now. So the fact that he forgets is consistent with the story. The fact that the Terminator, the fact that the movie, the, the movie makers forget is not. <laughs> so I'm granting you that point. <laughs> now, I'm going to tangent this for just a second because you touched on another one of my notes. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, uh, hopefully you know the answer to this because I was really racking my brains for this and I cannot remember. So it may just be my faulty memory. But didn't the idea of having the protector Terminator that was also revealed to be John's killer from the future – didn't that actually originate with T2? I mean, I know they didn't do it in the film of T2, but I, I'd swear that that's in, like, the novel or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know the answer to that question. I'm sorry to say. I wish I did. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they mined that from something else. And, uh, you know, to, I, to go off, off topic, like you say, you know, we're, we're uh, tangenting a little bit. But I don't, I don't know if you saw Terminator Dark Fate last year that's or the, year the before. only one i have not seen but in that they they have a, a cgi sequence early on by the way spoilers uh they have a cgi sequence early on there where uh it shows uh what's it called edward furlong and and uh linda hamilton uh de-aged to look like they did in uh in in t2 and it would be after the events of t2 that they're at some like beachside bar, you know, kind of in hiding, keeping a low profile, but they're they're you know sitting and you know I guess they let their guard down a little because some time has passed, uh, and uh, they what you call it, you know, the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator walks up and kills John Connor, right, and that is you know, a big part of the story because now John Connor is not alive to be the savior of mankind. So someone else has to step into that role. And then I guess, you know, dark fate, if you get into fate, someone else will fill that void. Uh, and another Terminator is sent back to kill that person. Uh, and it turns out the Terminator that killed John Connor after he accomplishes his mission has no mission anymore. And just kind of wanders off, and he ends up, uh, he ends up like starting a family. He, he 
has a you know a single <laughs> mother that he ends up find, being in a relationship with, and lives with them, and you know like he becomes like a, a surrogate father to this child, uh, and then he ends up coming out of Terminator retirement because now he's learned and everything, and he aids Linda Hamilton and and our new savior of mankind in their quest to survive against this Terminator that's after them. I did not think it was nearly as bad a movie as what people tried to make it out to be. I found it to be much like this one, entertaining. Uh, although, you know, again, you are re hitting some retread ground there. I'm not going to deny that. Uh, but I found it to be interesting, and, right. and I found Arnold's portrayal in it to be wonderful. He he was you know he was there as comic relief and he was giving you know these lines because uh, I'm trying to remember the details I saw it you know in the movie theater or whatever when it came out a year and a half ago two years ago whatever it was uh, but he he ended up like he's designing drapes or something for people's houses and he's like you know somebody wanted to do this I said no you can't do that you wouldn't put this pattern with that and it's it's just like you're laughing at like he's putting this Terminator attitude towards selling people drapery <laughs> and I, I found it to be very entertaining honestly i don't know that that's the only one in the franchise i have not seen yet i i'm sure i'll get around to it eventually but I, i'll be honest it's not one that that i was really all that hyped up for or or interested in but when it falls in my lap i'll i'll check it out because i've seen all the other ones so well, that's the way to watch it when it falls into your lap. There's no real point in, uh, you know, in, 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 I, you know, I saw it in the movie theater because I'm a mark for Terminator movies and I've seen, I guess, all of them in the movie theater. But actually, I didn't see the first one in the movie theater. Now that I'm coming back to that. But anyway, I've seen all the others in the movie theater, and uh, you know, I enjoy all, I enjoy all of them to a varying degree. If you get your expectations too high, you know, if you're looking for highbrow entertainment, uh, you're looking in the wrong place. Right. But, but if you just, you know, if you're looking just for a fun ride, I, I would, I would recommend that one. But that's not the one we're here to, to discuss, really. Uh, <laughs> so I don't want to go too far afield with that. Let's, let's stick with this one, and let's talk mm -hmm. a little bit about. Uh, I'm sorry, what, what's her name now? Uh, Christ, Christana Loken, as the Terminator. Oh, the, the Terminatrix. Um, yeah, I. Yeah, I. I I, I thought she no, <laughs> had the right. I thought she had the right look for the part, uh, much like Robert Patrick had the right look in in T two. I thought you know you, you had Arnold, uh, you know who's obviously a, a very large, you know muscular guy, and then after that you know you didn't want to just keep going bigger and bigger and bigger. So what they did was they went for some contrast. You know, John, uh, Robert Patrick was, you know, sleek and fast, you know, and they, they emphasize that in the movie when they show him running after the car and all of that. And then I thought, you know, Kristana uh, Loken, I thought she had a, a similar effect about her in the role. You know, she, she you know, it looks like, a, you know, this waif-like girl, but when she's doing the things that the special effects allow her to do, I never sit there and say, oh, I can't believe this. It, it just, you know, it, it flows and it feels fine to me. Well, it's another one of the things that really works for me in this that I I am very impressed is impressed with is the special effects. Um, the two sequences with her that I find most impressive is when she's attacking them or running to attack them in the cemetery and Arnold hits her with the grenade launcher, 
that effect is amazing because the grenade launcher hits her and propels her and she smashes through a headstone, a headstone and just kind of flies off into the distance. It's very superhero movie before superhero movies were really at that level. And I love that. And then, of course, the battle between the two Terminators uh, where they they're tearing through that uh, whatever that building is. And they wind up in the men's room and they're literally beating each other with toilets and urinals and smashing through walls. And here she is, as you say, she, you know, compared to Arnold, she's just a wave. And it could look cartoony. It could look ridiculous. It could look like Arnold's just throwing around a, a rubber doll. And it, it has none of that. It looks believable. Uh, there's even a part where she reaches down and grabs him by the crotch and by the scruff of the neck. And she's in control of the fight and smashing him through walls. And even that looks cool and believable. I mean, here it is again, you know, this this slip of a girl and she's throwing around Arnold and it shouldn't work, but it does. And, uh, and I buy it and I, I think it's really, really good stuff. So yeah, I mean, playing against type and not casting like a female wrestler or a female bodybuilder, but really, uh, you know, somebody that could be like a supermodel or something at that's, that's cool. You know, that's, <coughs> Going against, uh, you know, what's the what's the Ryan Johnson thing? You know, go, you know, going against your expectations, and uh, and I think that's brilliant because the you know the female Terminators that we got in the comics prior to this live action one, I think they were always drawn as female Arnolds. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what you were expecting, I think, from a female Terminator. And then they, you know, they go against type and they go with her. That's you know, she's very slim and attractive and so that that works also from the whole idea that these are supposed to be infiltration units you know they're supposed to be warming their way into the humans to kill them from within you know their own ranks and you know what what better than a beautiful voluptuous woman you know Mm -hmm. um and that, you know, that leads into another one of my my, uh, you know, not so crazy about. And this one's a minor one, but it's it's just one of those movie things. I got to mention it is that, OK, Arnold again. And I understand, you know, at this point, I guess Hollywood just feels that you can't make a, a Terminator movie and not include Arnold. He's got to be in there for whatever reason. They think he's got to be in there. And it, I'd be curious to see if they could make a a, a a Terminator movie with absolutely no Arnold in it at all and make it successful. I'm probably not at this point. Well, Terminator I think Salvation have, I mean, is 99% Arnold free. Right. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, so here's Arnold in it again. And another, he's another different Terminator. So that's three Arnold Terminators in a row now. And John even comments on it. And he says, what do you guys come off an assembly line? And he just says affirmative or whatever he says. And and that's it. And they kind of keep going with the conversation. But if you stop and think about that, that's pretty ridiculous. If this thing is really supposed to be an infiltration unit, then having them come off the line and they all look like Arnold, <laughs> that doesn't really work. You would think that even in the post-apocalyptic world, they'd have the ability to at least draw up a sketch. Have you seen this man? Stay away from him. He's bad news, you know? Well, did, so you, did you ever see the teaser little... trailer for Terminator 2? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they were coming off the assembly line. Yeah, yes. absolutely. 
And I, I yeah. love that trailer. And I love I, that. I love that trailer. Yeah. So I, and anybody who hasn't seen it, I would imagine it's on YouTube. If you look, uh, it was just I thought it was a pretty cool oh, trailer, and it's it's the assembly line of making Arnold's. And it just yeah, ends with I'll be back. Break out your old VHS tapes. It's at the beginning of um, Total, Total Recall. Recall. Yes. Yep. That's one of my favorite things um, when I put that last... VHS tape. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, the reason I know that is I was working in video at the time when when uh, Total Recall came out uh, on VHS, and. I had seen the movie in the theater, Total Recall, so I knew exactly what the movie was. And our company that I was working, I was working for Saturday Matinee at the time. Our company, um, they were very strict about what we could show on the monitors in the store. And they actually sent us a directive to immediately upon receipt play Total Recall in the store. And I was the only one in our store, you know, our, our, the management in our store to go, um, what? Are you sure? And I ended up placing a call to tell them, like, have you guys actually seen this movie? Because you really don't want this played in the store. But they insisted this was coming down from on high and they wanted it played in the store. So what I would do when I was, you know, the manager on duty, I would play the trailers and then I would switch to something else because I knew what the movie was and I knew we'd get complaints. So I must have seen that Arnold trailer a million times, the T2 trailer a million times, but I loved it. I just thought it was awesome because that's the only way you could see it was was on the beginning of that tape. And uh, so I, I just I had it memorized. I thought it was great. But anyway, like a day or two later, they ended up sending us another memo saying, whoops, we done screwed up and immediately pull that movie from your playlist. <laughs> so, yeah. So I just thought that was funny. They approved it without ever even looking at it apparently. And then very shortly, uh, went completely the other direction. But anyway, my, uh, my last, uh, uh, in the dislike, and this is really my only major dislike of the, of the whole film, uh, at least in a quick recollection is, uh, the inclusion of, uh, Dr. Silberman. I know why he's there but I groan every time because it's just, it's just that's it's one of those stupid sequelitis things that I mm-hmm. hate. But he's there because who else they got? You know, they, Arnold's already in the movie. Sarah Connor's character is now dead, so they can't include her. And everybody else as a character has already been killed. So who else they got? You know? Yeah. No, I, so I, I don't understand. disagree with you on that one. Yeah. I, I, and. Uh, I, and I think he was entirely uh, unnecessary. Yeah. And and every time I see him, I, I know you're supposed to get that warm fuzzy like, oh, it's that guy. But I don't. Instead, I, I go the opposite. I'm always like, oh, God, because I, 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 I don't tend- think you're supposed to get warm fuzzy. I think you're supposed to be laughing because he's sitting there talking about his PTSD, yeah. you know, but not in a right. uh, in a serious manner. Yeah. It just I don't know. It just really stretches my that. That's one of those things that breaks you know, breaks the the uh, the illusion for me. Yeah, is... It makes the world too small that he's there. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, like, his presence there, and, and Dave Pascarell is going to get mad at me, uh, but it reminds me of uh, Sheriff Pepper being in uh, The Man with the Golden Gun. Uh, just, it's, right. it's, it's grown worthy, and I agree with you. Right. 
Well, it's just it's one of those things that sequels do that makes me crazy. It's funny. I was just talking to this, talking about this with somebody else the other night about um, uh, Finding Dory. I really didn't like that movie. I really like Finding Nemo. And the person was asking me, well, why don't you like Finding Dory? It's such a good movie. I said, it's not that it's not a good movie, but you know what it does? It does that damn sequel thing that I hate so much where everybody that they encountered in the first movie has got to be in the second movie. Think about it. This movie is dealing with the ocean. The ocean is like nine-tenths of our planet. It's freaking ginormous. So this is even more of a, of a ridiculous coincidence than like what we're talking about here that dr silverman can go from whatever the hell city he was in in t2 and now we're seeing him again in whatever the hell the city that they're in 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 t3 you know that already stretches credibility but you're talking about land masses now you're talking about the ocean and in that movie she still managed to manages to encounter the turtles and all the other characters that they encounter in the and it just it it does it shrinks your world and it it breaks credibility, and I, I really I hate when they do that. It's like do new stuff, new characters. I don't need to see all the old people. I don't I don't need to walk down memory lane. I've got the DVD, you know. So. I, I don't disagree with you, but I don't hold a cartoon to the same level of continuity and realism. <laughs> and you know, maybe maybe I'm I'm being hypocritical because I'm sure there's other ones that I, that I would feel that way about. Uh, I neither, I was not in love with, nor did I hate Finding Dory. Uh, and it didn't really bother me that they treaded the same ground. I just feel like they did it much, much better in Finding Nemo. Uh, so that's my right. biggest criticism. I, you know, and, and I guess that could tie into this because we're talking about how this isn't treading new ground. Now for you, uh, you, you know, you're not the biggest T2 fan going, so that steps it up a level maybe. Whereas for me, I, I really, really like T2 a lot. So to see it, you know, retread it again in a movie that isn't as good to me as the, the last one, you know, that takes something away from it. I gotcha. Uh, all right. So we want to switch gears to things that we really like. Yeah. That's where I was going to go. Uh, all right. I think Jonathan Mosto, the director of this movie, uh, did a pretty good juggling act with what he had to work with. And I think, you know, from reading the description of the production on uh, Wikipedia, which, you know, we were talking about before, how you got to take a lot of Wikipedia with a grain of salt, and I know you have an example of why that you're going to give in a couple of minutes uh, with regard to this specific entry. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the production, it, it looks to me like it was a little bit of a roller coaster ride, because at one point... Uh, Linda Hamilton was going to be in the movie, and then they changed it to the fact that, you know, she's dead. Uh, Claire Danes was their first choice for the role, but somebody else was casting it because Claire Danes wasn't available. And they started filming, but then they replaced her with Claire Danes. So it sounds to me like there was a lot of balls in the air that this guy had to juggle. And if, if, if I remember the story correctly, I didn't read it on Wikipedia, but I remember hearing that the whole crane sequence in this movie was going to be something that they just did not have the money to make. And the story, whether or not apocryphal, excuse me, whether or not it was apocryphal, I don't know. Uh, but the story that I had always heard was that Arnold Schwarzenegger gave up a significant portion of his salary and instead took, you know, points off the money that was going to be made by the movie uh, 
in order for them to handle the budget to make this uh, sequence, which I think was a pretty enthralling sequence in the movie, I have to say. Uh, oh, yeah. But, you know, it sounds to me like, like there was a lot going on behind the scenes that Mastow had to deal with. And I think he put together a pretty credible movie. The only thing I think he could have done, maybe, and I don't even know this for a fact, maybe if he directed it strongly enough, he could have pulled a better performance out of Nick Stahl. <laughs> and I don't know if that's something you could have done or not. I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else ever. Uh, so I, I, I don't yeah. know. I know he was... Yeah, I looked at his... Uh, filmography on uh, on Wikipedia, and I didn't recognize anything else. I don't think I've seen anything else that he's been in. So yeah, I did see <laughs> The Man Without a Face ten years earlier uh, with Mel Gibson, but I don't remember him. In I remember, yeah, I remember that movie, but I don't think I ever saw it. But yeah, I I didn't even know that until I looked it up today. I didn't even know who the director of this movie was, and I, I looked it up and I found kind of an interesting fact out about him because. Um, I'm not familiar with anything else that he directed except for one thing. Now, the, the one of the people I focus on most in this movie that I, I'm really happy is in it is David Andrews. He plays Kate's dad, the general, General Brewster. Um, I, 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 he's just one of those those actors you see around on different things that I really, really like. Um, he played uh, Pete Conrad in Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks. And then he turned around a um, short while later when Tom Hanks was producing From the Earth to the Moon. Um, they recast him as Frank Borman, a completely different astronaut. He was awesome as Frank Borman. If you ever get to see the episode um, Apollo 1, uh, he, he kind of wraps up that episode by uh, portraying Borman testifying um, before, uh, I think it was like a Senate committee or something about Apollo, where basically – the, the program's at risk, like they're going to scrap Apollo because of what happened, you know, in Apollo one with the death of the astronauts. And Borman was the last one to testify. And David Andrews performance as Borman um, is just awesome in that it's, it's one of those like stand up and cheer type of performances. So I've always liked this guy and, and seeing him in this, although he doesn't really, I mean, he gives a good performance. He doesn't really have a lot to do. But it was just cool to see him there because I like that actor. Um, but anyway, uh, I learned that Jonathan Mostow, the director of the mo of this movie, T3, um, apparently directed the final episode of From the Earth to the Moon. So I just thought that was cool that this movie has two connections to that. And I can't remember if David Andrews is in that episode. I want to say that he's not. So I don't know that if they even knew each other from that, if they if they knew that they had both worked on the same series or not. But I just thought that was really cool that they did. Yeah, that is a pretty cool factoid. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard of some of his movies. Uh, in particular, I think the one that's probably most highly thought of is Breakdown with Kurt Russell. Um because I've heard a lot of good things about that one. I think I may have actually seen it, but I'm not 100% sure. It is like, you know, something like 25 years ago or something like that. <laughs> uh, but I remember hearing about U-571, which is a uh, submarine movie. Uh, I never right. saw it, but I remember hearing some, some good things about that. So, I mean, he's got a filmography with, you know, some some fairly well-known movies on it. 
And I think, like I said, I think he did a good job with juggling all the balls in the air on this one because I do think this was probably a little bit of a mess to to put together. And I think he made a nice tight movie at 109 minutes. Uh, You know, I don't know if the director's cut was quite that short or not, but uh, I never never saw any outtakes from it, so I don't know if there's anything really more that we didn't get. Uh, But like I said, I feel like it's a nice tight movie. It doesn't really have a lot of downtime. It's pretty much for the most part, from one action sequence to an- another, which is what a movie like this should have, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it moves, and that's one of the, one of the strengths of the movie to me, is that it really moves, and, uh, you know, there's as you say, there's not a lot of downtime. You know, I think the thing uh, that really works for me is that, uh, the action is epic. I mean, I, I think I think the action it, it's, it's incredibly well directed. You know what's happening uh, in the different scenes and all. You know, you and I were talking about. Um, you know, my wife and I just discovered the the Bourne movies. I know we're we're pretty late to the game on those, but I'd never seen them, and we've been watching our way through them. Uh, but the latest one that we watched, uh, Bourne Ultimatum, I think it was. Man, there's some headache-inducing scenes in the action, and that's what would be my only real criticism of it. It's a great movie, and, and the action's fun, but there's a lot of a lot of that movie where there's frenetic action happening, and it's just somebody just throwing a camera around, and you just don't know what the hell's going on. Everything's moving so fast. That doesn't happen with this. I like it where the action is clean and understandable. Like, it's happening. There's a lot of shit happening, but you can follow it, and you can understand it, and... Uh, uh, the the one that I'll always point to in this movie and and it's I think it's the thing that really started to make me a fan of the movie is that uh, chase sequence at the beginning where the t- the Terminatrix is is driving that hundred ton crane that is awesome and when she turns the crane to where the crane spans the entire width of the street and she's just flying down that street just ta- I mean everything's being torn to shreds telephone poles buildings cars it's just it's massive destruction and i've just never seen anything like that in a movie it's almost like a video it reminds me of like a like a a grand theft auto game you know when you take the tank and just you know mayhem and that but that's what it's like and it's all live action and it looks great and uh somebody was just telling me today that there's no CGI in any of that. And, and I, I didn't know that, but I could totally believe it because it looks completely real. It looks like they're actually destroying everything that's being destroyed. And I like that. I think that that must be why, you know, it looks so good and so authentic because it, it must be. And, uh, and I love it, but I, I love the cleverness of that scene. That scene uh, ends up climaxing where Arnold hooks the crane into a, a manhole essentially and when the cable runs out that's i mean that to me is one of the most exciting action scenes i've ever seen that cranes you know that that vehicle's screaming down the street however fast those type of vehicles go i mean it's just hauling ass down the street and right on them about to nail them and then that you know that length of cable runs out and that thing just folds like an accordion and flips and it's i mean it's epic it it it's really good and if you get a chance to see this you know in a in a proper movie setting with really good surround sound it oh man it sounds really good so yeah i love that i think it's a it's a great scene and uh i don't think that this one as a finished 
product, when you look at it start to finish, I don't think, unfortunately, that it has the same breadth and scope um, and and stunning factor as the second movie. I'll give the second movie that. The second movie is bigger. Somehow it just is. It feels bigger and it's a bigger spectacle. But there are certain aspects of, of this movie, of T3, that do surpass T2, and that's definitely one of them. I mean, if you put the aqueduct chase from 2 up against the crane chase in this one, I, I think the crane chase is a clear winner. I mean, that's my opinion, but I, I find it much more exciting and uh, just tension fraught. I, I really think it's epic. I don't know. See, what do you think? I'm, I'm going to kind of... I'm going to declare it a tie effectively because <laughs> I do think that this one has more spectacle to it, which is a, a huge factor. But I think the aqueduct scene has more tension to it. That's how it I has feel. more what to it? Sorry? Tension it has more tension. You know, we, we, tension. You know, when yeah. you're sitting on the edge of your seat kind of thing, uh, in, in this one, like I said, it definitely has more spectacle as far as I'm concerned, but it almost feels like there's so, so much destruction that it almost starts to not count anymore. So I don't feel so tense. It becomes I there's so much destruction that it starts to feel cartoony to me in some ways. And I don't mean that as, as a negative, but once when it's going to start feeling cartoony, I'm going to feel less tension. I'm going to be gripping my, you know, my handrails a little less tight because I'm going to just enjoy the spectacle. Whereas the aqueduct sequence, I think, you know, was less destruction, less spectacle, but I do feel, feel like it was more tense. I'll give you that. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably because in the second one, it's, you know, John, who's a little kid, essentially on that flimsy ass little, you know, dirt bike that he's got, as opposed to in this. Now, John's in the scene, but he's in a vehicle far ahead of all of this. It's really the, the imperiled person is Arnold, the Terminator. So it's not the same threat level. I, I don't really ever get the feeling like the Terminator really could be damaged or destroyed. You know, because for one thing, it's very early in the movie. So, yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, I don't you know, there, there's not as much tension, but. I, it's more fun to me somehow. That's fine. Um, and like I said, because, because of that, because of the difference between the two, I'm, I'm ready to, to declare it a tie. <laughs> <laughs> I think they both work um, in their own way and they're both very effective in their own way. And I think they both serve their movies well. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, good let's on see that. What, what else have we got here for notes? I talked about the rocket launcher in the set. I do love that sequence, though. That's the one I can just watch over and over again. Uh, talked about the fight in the men's room. Uh, the chase with the hearse, I think, is great. I really mm -hmm. enjoy that whole sequence a lot. I, I, uh, I like I think when he the breaks opener. open the uh, coffin. <laughs> There's all the, the weapons in there. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm he brings, sure the, brings the coffin out with John in it. I'm not sure how that would work, you know, in the real world. Like, how do you get the coffin actually in there with all those weapons? Like, how would you get Because you would think somebody would check that. But, it's it, you know, and typically, you know, one of the things I, I was going to say about this movie is how, how smart I think it is. But that, I'll, I, I would have to check it with that one because that's one where I think, 
if you think about that too hard, that may not hold up under <laughs> real close scrutiny, but it is still cool. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, you know, Sarah thought that far ahead to, you know, to plan those types of things for John. I, I do think that's still a cool moment. You but know, I you, noticed you mentioned something about it being a smart movie and what occurs to me. I, I love the sequence when, uh, you know, it turns out that Kate sent the, uh, the Terminator back in time. So when John says, well, what happened to me? I am not programmed to answer that question. And, and then she says, what happened? And he just, he just blurts it out. I killed you. <laughs> I, I feel like that's, that's, it's a funny sequence, but it's smartly put together. Well, you know, we, we've been criticizing Nick Stahl, and I think, you know, justifiably so, but he does have a good moment, because right after Arnold says that, he, he just has this look on his face, he goes, well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very, you know, human reaction, so yeah. <laughs> now, another thing I think really uh, plays to my enjoyment of this movie is, and, and feel free to disagree, because I really want to know your opinion. I disagree. I think... Oh. <laughs> I think the Arnoldisms are dialed way back in this, and I find the Terminator much more machine-like. I I think it's a nice balance between his portrayal in the first movie uh, and his portrayal in this, like in the beginning of the second, before he starts to get goofy, you know, and and using all the one-liners and becoming more human. He's he's somewhere in the middle, and I like that better. Uh, I, I didn't. You know, so there's not, you know, the hasta la vistas and, you know, goofiness that the the second one kind of indulged in. It, it's he's pretty straightforward. And I, I really like that. What do you what do you think of that? Well, I think that's that contradicts a little bit of what we were saying earlier about this movie, forgetting that it's not the same Terminator. Because it does have that for the most part. You know, you, you pointed to the right. one scene with the car keys uh um, you know, I, I didn't really, I have to admit, I, when I rewatched it for this, I didn't really look at it with an eye towards, you know, how does it contrast with the performance of the Terminator in the second one. Uh, so I can't really remember if there's other points where the movie forgets. But I do think his being colder is a plus. I agree with you on that because this Terminator doesn't have the bond and didn't have time to develop them on. See, now with the Terminator lore, as we understand it, or as we've gotten it through these movies now, and if you count all of the movies, even though some of them have disregarded others, uh, like, for example, Terminator Dark Fate disregards everything after T1 and T2. Uh, but just the same, we have been given the impression that these Terminators can learn, that they are learning right. creatures. Uh, and in T2 and in Terminator Dark Fate, the Terminator clearly learns a, a lot and, you know, takes from that. In this one, this particular Terminator has been reprogrammed, but he hasn't had the time or the opportunity to really learn independently yet. So he should be portrayed as being colder and, and more on a mission, which I think he is. Right. So I do agree with your point, ultimately. Right. That's my very long-winded way of saying that. But do you think that works to the film's strength? Because I, I think it does. I think it does when you think about it. Uh, right. I, th- I think if you don't give it a thought... Honestly, I think if you don't give it a thought, you're not going to really notice so much. And and if people are... 
disappointed that it's not a warm, cuddly Terminator, then I, I think they're not really thinking about how these movies should be. <laughs> um, Although, in Terminator Dark Fate, eventually he becomes a little bit warm and cuddly. <laughs> but, but I find that that adds to the humor <laughs> tremendously. Now, you had talked about the fact that, uh, that I... I you know, this film in particular, I, I know some of the other ones too, but this film in particular ends up, you know, when you look at the overall franchise, this is the one that ends up um, either ignored, contradicted, or retconned out by future films. Um, the the one that really broke my heart was uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, the TV show, because I really dug that show. I, I think I might be the only person that ever watched it start to finish, but I really liked that show. But that was one of the basic conceits of the show is that in order to continue to have Sarah, they had to figure out, OK, well, then how do we deal with the fact that the third movie said that she's dead? And they found a clever way around it, but by working their way around it, they retconned away the third movie. And that, that always kind of disappointed me because I really liked this movie. Yeah, I I started watching the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and I enjoyed it in the beginning. And then eventually I felt like it's not a franchise that's made for a long-form story because it started to feel at times a little slow moving to me and at times a little repetitive. I, I didn't right. feel like we were really building towards something as this, as the show went on. And uh, with that said, once again, I, I thought, uh, I can't think of what her name is. Uh, the actress that played the Terminator friend, the friendly Terminator in it. Um, oh yeah. Oh gosh. I can't. Yeah. I, I, I thought she you. was great in it. And I know her now from Firefly which I didn't know at the time. I thought she was terrific. I thought Sarah Connor was really good. But again, I thought John Connor was mediocre. He didn't really grab me. And, uh, you know, They have yet to, to have a John Connor where I really feel like this is a guy who's so charismatic that, of course, everybody's going to follow him. You know, What we need is Chris Evans as Captain America to be John Connor. Right, right, yeah. No, I'll give you that. Well, there, there is a moment. I didn't write it down as a note, but it just occurred to me. There is a moment that I always cringe at in this uh, regarding John Connor, and it's when it shows him very briefly in the future, in whatever year it's supposed to, 2029 or whatever, and it shows him, and he's made up, I guess, to, he's supposed to look like an old man, mm -hmm. um, but he still looks exactly the same. He just, he just, he looks like a kid, you know, playing an old man somehow, like in a school play or something. And he raises <laughs> up his machine gun. He's like, Rah! and I'm just like, no, dude. Cause yeah, you know, he has I know what a scene you're talking way. about. <laughs> yeah. It just, yeah. He's, he's still, you know, he's still very slight of frame. So they aged up his face, but then they didn't add any poundage to him. And it's like, Okay, I realize it's the post-apocalypse and maybe food is scarce and all, but even taking all that into account, if he's supposed to be like 30, 40 years older, put some weight on him, you know, throw a fat suit on him and, and add, you know, 40 pounds to him and make him look different. But he doesn't look, his body style is exactly the same. He just has like gray temples and a big scar on his face and it totally doesn't work, unfortunately. But... <laughs> 
it's a minor quibble, but it jumps out to me every time I watch that scene. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. <laughs> what do you think? Jumping all okay, the way... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go no, ahead. No. <laughs> Jumping all the way to the end of the movie. Now, another thing that really works for me is the end of the movie. I, I love that they were tricked, that, that uh, uh, her father, Claire Dane's father, tricks them into going to essentially the fallout shelter, you know, the, the, the one reserved for presidents and VIPs and everything. And when they get there and they realize what's going on and, and, you know, the understanding dawns and then we literally see the end of the world, just the note that this movie ends on really is a strength for me because it gives me that old school, old fashioned, you know, post-apocalyptic movie vibe that I used to get from things like, say, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, or even the original Planet of the Apes, or, you know, just any of those great, you know, 60s, 70s, uh, end-of-the-world movies. It, it, it has that same feel for me, or even to a, to a certain degree, even the feel of the first Terminator, because, you know, when Sarah drives off at the end, you know, everything may look all bright and sunshiny, but you know what's what's that road is heading towards you know she's mm-hmm. she's headed off and you can see the storm brewing in the distance and it's very foreboding and so i i like that this ending to this plays into that that you know they think they've won only to find that they've lost everything and and i like that yeah i do too and i feel like it is I, I feel like the acting there actually steps up a little bit where they just become kind of resigned to it quickly. That this is the way yeah. it's going to be. Uh, you know, that, that as soon as there's that moment of understanding. No I, no, I totally agree with you. And I like that there's a moment where um, I keep forgetting Claire Dane's character's first name. Kate, what was her first Kate name? Brewster. Kate. Where Kate keeps, or Kate, for just a moment, she says to him, uh, I forget the exact line, but it's essentially just let it go, meaning the timer. You know, he's he's holding the bomb that they were intending to place on Skynet only to find that there is no physical Skynet, that it's all in the Internet, you know, essentially. And she tells him we could just let it go. We could just let it run out, meaning we could let the bomb kill us and, and that'll be it, you know. And I like that. It, it adds to that sense of futility that all this was for nothing. The world is still going to end. They didn't stop anything. And uh, I like that. You know, I, it, it's it's a very dark and bleak ending. And typically I don't like that sort of thing. But for this type of movie, it totally works. And, you know, speaking of uh, the, the whole Internet thing, that was another thing that I really liked about this movie. And I think really works to its strength is that. It you know, in the ten years between well, actually real world time, it was more like twelve years I think between T two and T three. Look how much the world moved on. Look how much technology advanced. You know, the internet came along and all the you know all the stuff that that entails. And unlike some of the later sequels, you know, Terminator sequels that started, I think show their age and everything because now things are, you know, the world is different. 
this one is able to play with that and, and embrace the new technology and integrate it into the story where now it becomes a vital component of how Skynet takes over. And I really liked that. I thought that was very clever to, you know, not pretend it didn't exist or, or anything or, or have a tough time with, uh, with dealing with it, they embraced it and they used it as a story point. And I thought that was brilliant, you know, a really good way to work with the fact that, you know, not only didn't the future pan out the way it was predicted with the first movie way back in 1984, but you're, you, you're able to adapt to the world that we did get. And I thought that was clever. That's really good. Other time travel movies could learn a, a lesson from that sort of thing. Once again, I agree. I think you, you, you hit on a good point there that it that it did, and it it you know watching this yesterday to talk today, uh, and I would say it's been a number of years since I saw it last. Uh, I couldn't even tell you how many, uh, but it doesn't feel like it's aged badly. Uh, you know, it's nearly right. twenty years old now. Well, it's eighteen years old now. Uh, and right. it, doesn't, it doesn't, you know, doesn't feel dated at 18 years old. Uh, not, not that the other ones feel dated to me either, but like you say, uh, there are some elements of the Internet and whatever that they hit on that they embrace a little too much. Uh, you know, Terminator Genesis, I could see, I could see that potentially aging badly. Uh, you know, we will right. see. Time will tell. What do you think of the score on this one? Because you are my score guy. <laughs> it's funny you should ask me that because that's uh, that's my next note and one of one of my last notes. I love the score for this movie. Um, I think it was actually um, acquiring the the there's um, I have no idea if it's legit or if it's a bootleg, but it's out there. There's uh, the complete uh, recordings, meaning the stu studio recordings uh, for the soundtrack are out there to be had on the internet, and and I got a hold of them, and it was listening to that and uh, and really falling in love with the score to this. I think that that gave me a whole new level of appreciation for the film that made me want to go back and re-examine it again, and it was that process that that really led me to go, wow, you know this. You know, I, I never was a detractor for the movie. Um, I, I liked it, you know, when I first saw it. I don't think I did see this one in the theater. I'm, I'm not sure when I discovered it. I'm, I'm almost positive I missed this one in the theater through a, a number of things. I think it was timing for one, but also the trailer, um, which is uh, – I watched it last night off of uh, HBO Max, I think, and – watching the trailer was one of the options and after the movie was over i watched the trailer just out of curiosity it's a terrible trailer and i think what it was is i think when it came out the lousy trailer and word of mouth i think is why i didn't go see it when it when it played theatrically and i think it was sometime later when i caught it for the first time you know way down the line when it when it had a bad rep and was surprised that, wow, this isn't near as bad as, as people say. I actually kind of dug it. And then, you know, years went by again, and I ended up getting a hold of the score. And in that process, not only did I get a hold of the, the score for this movie, you know, the complete score, 
Um, but I'd already developed a, a real liking for Marco Beltrami, who's the composer that did the score for this. Beltrami has done some some just amazing scores, and it's kind of sad that the guy still hasn't really seemed to earn much of a rep. There's a lot of people that, you know, you say the name and they have no idea who you're talking about. He, he just doesn't seem to be one of the big guys yet, but he so deserves to be because he's really done some some amazing scores. And if you ever get a chance to see it, there's a, um, a documentary out there. I'm blanking on the name of it. It may just simply be called Score. I'm not sure. But there's a, a really good documentary out there that's all about um, modern day film composers and, and it's got a lot of the great ones in it but there's a whole sequence with him where he's experimenting with sound specifically for future use in film scoring and I mean some really uh, cutting edge and amazing things that he's doing just, just playing with sound and he does some of that stuff with this score and uh, I think it's a fantastic score and for me, one of the, the signs of a truly great film score is one that works within the movie. It enhances the movie. It's a player in the movie. It helps tell the story. But then most important to me, does it work outside of the movie? Does it is it playable outside of the movie? It's still an enjoyable listen, you know, a, away from the film. And this one totally is to a point where there's some of the score is actually better when you can hear it isolated away from the film. And uh, case in point is the chase sequence. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you rhyme and verse what the name of the track is, but the track for the portion of the film where um, the t- Terminatrix has just blasted Arnold in the chest with her, with her wrist gun and Arnold flies into that shed and is knocked out. So she takes over all the vehicles and all that and goes off to do her thing. Arnold reawakens and stands up and goes to pursue her. That whole sequence, the score for that in the film, it's great, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. So the score you know, is, is kind of subdued by the sound effects and dialogue and all of that. You take that sequence out of the film and just listen to just the isolated score, and it's awesome it's really really good there's a there's a sequence where it's building and building and building and then it pauses and it's the point where arnold stands up and when he stands up it starts again and so there's you know this build up and then pause and then and it starts up and it's just like one of those like it gives you goosebumps like oh yeah oh shit it's on and it works so well again both in the film but even better you know as an isolated track and and that's the kind of thing you know, for me as a as a film score nut, those are the types of things I get excited for. Is when a score really gets your blood going, like, oh, this is this is good stuff, and and this one's a a really really good score. So yeah, it's it's one of the real strengths of this movie to me. Cool, cool. Okay, you know, I <laughs> I don't always take specific note of the score as I'm watching a movie, because sometimes <laughs> I get immersed into the movie. And sometimes the score is part of the reason I get immersed into it, uh, especially when it's right. done, in my opinion, when it's done right. Uh, when it's done right, it, it enhances the experience without ever calling attention to itself. Uh, with, you know, there, there are uh, exceptions to that rule. Uh, you know, 
where, where the score becomes pivotal and it, it does call attention to itself. And, uh, you know, again, I would point to Jaws uh, as far as the, at least the shark theme in it. Uh, you know, it does call attention to itself and it does so in a way where it enhances the movie. But more often than not, I think even some of the great scores, I didn't realize how good they were until sometime later when I've seen the movie several times. Uh, you know, you talk about like Superman the movie or, or Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, I, I, I naturally go to John Williams on almost everything. But in those movies, as great as those scores are, and they are, I didn't walk out of the movie saying, yeah, and that music was awesome. Like, it didn't really click to me until I saw the movie a couple of times. So right. it, it did its right. job the right way, as far as I'm concerned, because they definitely enhanced the movie uh, and it's great music, but it doesn't overpower the movie. Uh, and in this right. instance, nor, nor should it. Yeah. In this yeah. instance, I'm going to say it definitely didn't overpower the movie when I did kind of pay attention to it it sounded very good to me uh but i didn't i still didn't have the you know the the, the full experience that you've had where you've listened to it on its own and, and you've really started to you know put it all together I, I think i'd have to you know do a little bit more research to to be there which is one of the reasons i enjoy having you on here because you give me a perspective that i uh not only don't have but would have difficulty having well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> it, it's, it's meant that way. Uh, so, uh, is there any anything else in your notes? Because I think we've pretty much gone through everything I have. Um, yeah, just two quick things. Uh, a quick cautionary tale. We hinted at this before, but uh, you know, just a quick cautionary tale about relying too much on Wikipedia. Uh, I made an interesting discovery. So, while reading the Wikipedia entry for Terminator Three today. There's a, a comment in there that says, with a final budget of $187.3 million, it was the most expensive film ever made up to that point. That instantly gave me pause because I thought that James Cameron's Titanic was the most expensive film ever made at million at the time it was made. So I looked up Titanic 1997, and this is what the Wikipedia entry says. With a production budget of $200 million, it was the most expensive film ever made at the time. So that was six years prior to Terminator. So I don't know where the Terminator 3 Wikipedia person got their information, but it is wrong, unless they were wrong about their numbers. It, it may very well have been the most expensive film made up to that point, but the number they give is 13, well, 12 and change million less than Titanic at 200 million. So yeah, something screwy somewhere there. Um, lastly, I just wanted to ask you, I, I never noticed it until I was rewatching it yesterday at the very end of the movie. There's a mention of there being a book, uh, you know, meaning a novelization. Now I used to love movie novelizations when I was a kid, I used to collect them and, and read as many as I, I could. I have a, Today I have a huge collection, uh, many of which I've still never gotten around to reading. Um, but I didn't even know that there was one for this movie. Ha by any chance, have you actually read it? No, I have not. As a kid, I enjoyed it. novelizations as well, but I really haven't done a lot uh, of reading of them, you know, as an adult. Uh, right. You know, for better or for worse, I just haven't. So I... I, I haven't sought them out for the most part either so i cannot give you any uh <laughs> any insight into that 
No, I, I'm with you there. I still pick them up as they fall into my lap. Uh, you know, in, in recent years, I've acquired a bunch of them. I've got like, you know, and, and again, talking about the films, I've got like Dick Tracy, The Rocketeer, The Shadow, Corvette Summer fell in my lap a while ago. <laughs> I love that movie. You know, I have all these novelizations now that I've never made the time to sit down and read, but I continue to collect them just because I loved them so much as a kid. And it's it's one of those things where I keep telling myself, yeah, one day I'll sit and read them. You know, we'll, we'll see if I live long enough to. But in this particular case, um, I'd actually want to seek this out because, uh, you know, with with kind of, you know, movies like this that that you know, have the lesser reputations. I, I sometimes I find the the novelizations are interesting is because I read the novelization to the movie version of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen not long ago and really dug that as well. So I, I'm just curious if there'd be any of those, you know, what we used to call the DVD extras, you know, the extra scenes, you know, stuff that mm. wind up on the cutting room floor. Because as you say, the the running time of this movie is rather short which lends into the idea that maybe there's a longer version out there somewhere or, you know, just scenes that never made it into the film or whatever. So I'd be curious to read it just, you know, from that angle to maybe gain a little bit more insight into it. But, but yeah, that was, that was pretty much all I had as notes. <laughs> okay. So I guess we're at the point where we rate this movie. Is it yours? You can go first. Is it Jaws? So here's the thing. I'm probably going to shock you. Uh, no, it's not Jaws. Um, it pains me to say that because I really dig the movie. But, um, you know, you and I have discussed this many times. I have my own personal criteria for for what is Jaws to me. Um, it really just comes down to three main things. Um if I catch it flipping channels, no matter where it is in the movie, am I going to stop and watch it? Yeah, it passes that one. Um, I like this movie enough that um, pretty much no matter where it is in the movie, if I'm flipping channels, I'll probably st- stop and end up watching it you know, all the way to the end of the movie. I, I really do dig it. Um, does it have a great score that enhances the movie and tells the you know, helps tell the story and, and in some cases is actually a character in the movie? Um, I think it does. I think it has a really good score. And one of the things that I like best about the score is that um, while it does use some of the same motifs that were written by Brad Fidel for Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, um, it is not simply just a rehashing of those works. It is a complete and original score that stands on its own and, in my opinion, is a hell of a lot better than what Fidel did for T2 because T2 was the laziest score in the world, in my opinion. I love the the uh, score to Terminator 1 that uh, Fidel did. I think it's groundbreaking. I, I hold it right up there with like Planet of the Apes for all the ground that it broke. But T2 is just a flat, lazy score. And, uh, and this one's not. It's all original and it's very experimental and there's some really, really good stuff in there. So it passes that one. Um, the third criteria is, is it eminently quotable? So you look at, you know, well, Jaws is the perfect example. Look how much of that movie that we quote on a daily basis. We do it all the time. And, uh, you know, in, in, you know, Star Wars and all these other movies that you hold up as Jaws level movies, um, is Terminator 3 eminently quotable? I, 
I can't give you a line off the top of my head. I can't even think of anything that's a, an, an original line that I think is a, you know, you know, that that's eminently quotable. It's just not. So, you know, what is it at the end of the day for me? It, it's, uh, you know, and again, this is going by your Jaws scale, not by comparison to the actual movie itself. It's a very solid uh, Jaws 2. If, if there was a grade between Jaws 2 and Jaws 1, it would be in there, you know, Jaws 1.5 or whatever, because I really dig it. I think it's a really solid movie. <clears throat> Pardon me, but it is, uh, and unfortunately, it's not quite Jaws, but it's it's definitely a solid, fun, enjoyable movie, which is what I understand a, a Jaws 2 rating to be. So that's what I got to give it as a Jaws 2. Okay, well, you see, my definition of Jaws is much more vague than yours. Yours yours is, comes down to a specific criteria, and it's easy for you to kind of put it into a formula a little bit. For me, it, it's almost like the, uh, the, the, what you call it, the Supreme Court's definition for uh, porno, pornography. I can't really define <laughs> it, but I know it when I see it. Right. <laughs> so that that's kind of my Jaws thing. It's it's I can't really give you a specific formula that creates uh, a Jaws ranking for a movie, but I know it when I see it, or at least you know in my own personal opinion, I know what I think is and what isn't. Uh, and you know I, I I think this movie is solid and it's entertaining, but it doesn't quite have the weight that I would need for it to have to be, you know, to be considered, uh, at that epic level. Uh, it is, as I said, it, you know, it's not really treading any new ground. Uh, I think the, you know, the, I know Arnold Schwarzenegger is the star of the movie, but the main actor in the movie is, is Nick Stahl, who I think falls a little short in my opinion. So, you know, it, it doesn't hit that, you know, close enough to perfect for me to, for it to be a Jaws, uh, ranking. On the other hand, you know, it, it is, to me, very entertaining and uh, easy to just j sit down and, you know, t almost to some extent turn off my brain and watch it and really just enjoy myself and, you know, take in the spectacle and, and the, uh, the action and, to some extent, the story as well. Uh, I think it's, it's kind of in the middle of the pack on a Jaws 2 movie as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to put it at that you know, top level, because I, I just don't feel like it, it reaches there. But it is a very enjoyable, solid viewing movie that I can watch over and over, which to me is the definition of Jaws 2. Awesome. So that's our review of T3. Thank you, Scott, for coming on and taking some time to go over this one with me. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm uh, I'm glad that uh, we 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 came to a, a like ranking on it because I was I really didn't know where you sat on this one, so I, I was a little bit I was a little nervous. But no, I, this was this was a lot of fun. Yeah, fun for me too, and I hope it was fun for our listeners. Thank you, everybody who was listening in, and uh, we'll catch you again in two weeks. Oh, by the way, before before I go off off on this. Uh, the email address for the show is jawspodcast at gmail.com. If you are one of the people that Scott was referring to earlier who really, really dislikes this movie and can articulate why in a manner that, you know, is uh, not just saying, I don't like it because it sucks. I'm you know, a idiot, so, man. <laughs> if, you, if you can give a, you know, an, an intelligent basis for thinking that, that we're off 
on our assessment of this movie, I'm more than happy to read your opinion and, uh, you know, take it into account because I do enjoy intelligent uh, opinions that contradict my own. So if you have anything like that, let me know. Yeah, I definitely, yeah. I I honestly really want to know. I mean, again, as Paul's saying, I I don't even mind if it's like, that gardener's an idiot and let me tell you why. That's fine. But, you know, just just make it, you know, <laughs> make it a, a valid argument. I, I really do want to know, though, because I'm curious. I, I don't know. I, I know that the film has a, you know, a, a very it has held in a very poor opinion by seemingly most of the Internet. But I don't know why. And I'd, I'd, I'd honestly like to hear it. I'd, I'd like to know, you know what are the problems that people see, because it may be something that I just didn't see or didn't think of or whatever hopefully it won't ruin the movie for me uh, retrospectively but uh i'd genuinely like to know well i don't i don't know that it's going to ruin the movie for me uh because you know i enjoyed it and that's that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna you know say oh well now i you know that that enjoyment i got out of it in the past is gone uh you know it was there and it's fine but i would be interested in hearing the counterpoint to it uh, you know, if, if you didn't enjoy it and you have, a, 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 you know, like I said, an intelligent way of, of articulating that, then I'd, I'd be very interested in hearing. So, you know, I was, I was going to ask you if that had ever happened to you, but I, I'll ask you something. I'll ask you a different question. Have you ever seen um, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? Yes, and I enjoyed it very much. That would be an interesting one for for us to do on one of these at some point because the reason I mentioned that is that I, I was going to ask you initially has that ever happened to you where you know you got an opinion or or you know something you know some outward you know outer stimuli like totally changed your opinion of a movie and that's the example for me that that immediately comes to my mind is I I loved that movie walking out of the theater I, I thought it was awesome. And immediately sought out the book and read the book. And after I read the book, I hated the movie because the book was so much better. And I, but the, here's the thing though I haven't got, I've never gone back and rewatched the movie after I read the book. So I'd be curious now to do that, you know, for an Is It Jaws and, and see, yeah, you know, what I that. thought of it again. I've, I've only seen the but, movie uh, once, but I did enjoy it. I, you know, I could tell you, I, I thought, I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. But maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll revisit that one and check it out. Sure. So, uh, once again, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Your mother? I never even knew where she was buried. the road the day she died. Why did you bring me here? Sarah Connor was cremated in Mexico. Her friends scattered her ashes in the sea. They stored these weapons in accordance with her will. 
What happened to her? Leukemia. I'm sorry. We were living in Baja when she was diagnosed. They only gave her six months. But she fought for three years. Long enough to make sure. Make sure? The world didn't end. Every day after this one is a gift. She told me we made it, we're free. But I never really believed that. I guess she didn't either. You know, you were about the closest thing to a father I ever had. How pathetic is that? My mission is to protect you. That's enough. Move or I'll do it. I swear I will. I'll shoot you. Go ahead. See what happens. Don't do that. leads the resistance to victory. How? Why? Why me? You are John Connor. Christ, my mom fed me that bullshit since the cradle. Look at me, I'm no, I'm no leader, I never was, I'm, I'm never gonna... Go! You're right. You're not the one I want. I'm wasting my time. more useful than despair. What? Basic psychology is among my subroutines. <laughs> 